Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Well, this program, listeners, is for you. No matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to, Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics, it's about principle. It's not about candidates, it's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. My guest today is Dr. Mike Beitler, a close friend, wonderful person, a business professor at UNC Greensboro. He's the author of three books, and for the past four years, he has been the host of Free Markets, a radio program in Greensboro. Uh, It has been my honor to be a guest on his program a number of times, and I am going to be a guest on his 200th broadcast uh, the first week of October. Uh, Dr. Mike has been a candidate for statewide office twice, and he's a very vocal advocate for the Constitution and a very vocal advocate for the two F words, free markets and freedom. Dr. Mike, welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. It's an honor for you to be on today. Well, Dr. Dan, it's an honor and for me, and thanks for that kind introduction. Well, listen, you deserve every word of it. I've been, you and I have been talking many times. We have, we share many common beliefs, probably a 99.9%. Uh, so this is going to be a really a great uh, set of programs that we're going to do together because... Obviously, the economy is a primary issue and of primary importance uh, at this point. You know, last week was Constitution Week. I know you know that. Uh, I took three days and I lectured in high schools in Cherokee County. And one of the things we talked about was the difference between the U.S. economy before 1913 and after 1913. I know you know what I'm talking about. Because I tell, <laughs> because I told them in 1913, three incredibly terrible things happened to the United States: the 16th Amendment, 17th Amendment, and the Federal Reserve Bank. So, what a great way to start the program! Do you love the Federal Reserve Bank, Doctor Mike? 
Well, as you know, Dr. Dan, you and I have shared the stage at several uh, audit the Fed type events. And um, actually, this uh, Sunday, I'm going to be speaking at the Outer Banks for Liberty barbecue over in Nags Head. And that's one of the things I'm going to hammer away at is we, we have got to do an audit of the Fed. They're, they are just destroying their currency. You know, one of the things that people never understand is that the Federal Reserve Bank is not part of the government. No, they don't understand that. And it amazes me, Dr. Dan, when I talk to people, they don't even seem to see what the problem is. You'll hear some people talk about, well, they're going to collapse our currency at some point, which is true, but they're taking little bits of our buying power away every day. I think we need to be aware that it's the same thing as they had gone into our account and just started charging our account and putting the money in somebody else's account. But we don't seem to notice that because the inflation that they're creating just kind of sneaks up on us. Well, we know by following the, the value of gold that our dollar is definitely sinking in value. And it's all due to the action of the Federal Reserve. It really is. And it disturbs me. And as many of your listeners are probably Austrians, uh, Austrian economists would agree with me on this, that uh, we don't have a problem with these commodities themselves getting more expensive. It's just that the commodities are getting more expensive in relation to the dollars, which are becoming less valuable. You know, when I hear people talking about the price of gas and they blame it on supply and demand or they blame it on speculators, I know that's just not the case. And I think you agree. Well, I, I do agree. And the speculators, as you and I have talked about before, really add liquidity to the market. So I'm glad that they're there. They're not the bad guys at all. And you're absolutely right. You know, we ought to be giving a lot of credit to people in the oil and gas industry if they can do things as efficiently as they do. Well, you know, though, that the price of gas and the price of a barrel of oil versus the value of gold has not changed for a hundred years. Well, that's absolutely right. I think what you were suggesting a minute ago, too, about um, keeping an eye on things as far as uh, the gold prices, that really is a great way to get a sense of what our buying power in dollars is actually doing. Well, I know that you know that in 1913, an ounce of gold would buy a really well-tailored men's suit. Uh, and today, in 2012, an ounce of gold will buy a really well-tailored men's suit. And that about says it all. You know, it really does, because if we just think about uh, comparing dollars to other commodities, there is that sense that somehow the commodities are becoming more scarce or something. That's what's driving up the price, when in reality, like you're saying, it's the fact that our dollars are becoming less valuable. Well, the Fed keeps printing money. And I understand under QE3 that they're going to be printing about $40 billion each month forever. That's what they kind of said last week. Did you hear that? I did hear that. And um, that should concern all of us. That should be, that should be front, front page headline uh, material. 
And, and somehow this can go on as long as there's no audit of the Fed. It'll continue, and they'll just keep printing money for all these harebrained ideas that the politicians come up with. Well, printed money, of course, is the fuel for not only inflation, but it's the fuel for big government. That's why at the beginning I said freedom and free markets, they're linked inextricably. So uh, that's what we're really looking to hear, aren't, aren't we, is that every time the Fed, the, the Fed prints money, it's done to increase the size and power of the federal government. Well, that's absolutely right, because all this debt that we're racking up, we're, we're paying interest on, and a lot of this paper that's been created, this, uh, these debt instruments are being held by the Fed, and we're, we're, we're having them print money, and then we're paying them interest for, for the right to be able to use all those extra dollars that are in the economy. Well, you know, the, Fred, the Fed, <laughs> I don't know why I keep calling him Fred, probably Fred Flintstone or something like that, but the Fed, <laughs> the Fed makes money hand over fist every transaction, don't they? They really do. Uh, you know, one little story, and maybe I've shared this with some of your listeners before, is when I was in banking, Dr. Dan, I remember being the CFO and ordering currency. We needed some uh, some cash for uh, our transactions. I, I'd contact the Fed either via email or over the phone. I wouldn't have to go out into the parking lot and wait for the Brinks truck to arrive. The, mag- the money would just magically appear in my account. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. That They're doing that, printing the money or creating the money electronically out of nothing, nothing to back it up. And they're doing that for hundreds of banks across the country every day. So they're taking away our buying power at an unimaginable rate. Do you think if if I wrote a letter to the Fed that they would put some zeros in my account? (laughs) I think you could try it, but I I don't have much hope for that working out for you. In other words, I'm not one of those big New York-favored banks. I'm not one of their buddies. Is that right, Dr. Mike? Uh, that's right. We could do a whole show on just cronyism. But we, uh, I don't think you and I would, would qualify as cronies. Well, I hope not, because I never <laughs> – even if I, grow up, if I grow up or when I grow up, if that ever happens, I do not want to be a crony, uh, and I'm sure you don't either, but – you, you mentioned the word crony. I mean, I think the Federal Reserve Bank and, and their cronies, that's that's the ultimate crony system uh, in the world, probably. I think you're absolutely right, Dr. Dean. I think that, that characterizes the relationship really well, that the Federal Reserve looks at all these crazy ideas that the federal government has for new programs and they don't mind financing it you know they just create the cash and or create the currency and give it to the the bureaucrats and the politicians and they get back interest-bearing uh bills and notes in return and just collect the interest it's it's good work if you can get it so they like we said here dr mike they they earn money coming in and going out. They're, they're just earning money all over the place, and they're a private group of individuals, aren't they? That's right. That's absolutely right. Most people just simply aren't aware of that. They figure there must be an agency of the government somehow. 
Well, they have that word federal. I wonder why they chose that word. Yeah, you know, they have that, Dr. Dan, plus uh, talking about it being a crony-type relationship. And then you have the president appointing the uh, the chairman. That just smacks of cronyism all the way around. Well, and in addition to which, we really, not the people, nor Congress, nor the, anyone really has any control over the Federal Reserve Bank anyway. Isn't that true? Oh, it's absolutely, yeah, that's right. And just think about how frightening that is. I think that's why you and I both have agreed we need an audit of the Fed, which I think would probably lead to ending the Fed because people would realize that this is, it's a, it's a relationship or a power that they have in this relationship that's virtually unlimited. They can just keep printing money and they're just not accountable to anybody for it. Of course, you know one of the enumerated powers in the Constitution, in Article One, Section 8, is that Congress is supposed to coin money and regulate the value thereof. I would say they've abdicated their role. Haven't, don't you think so, Dr. Mike? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think what you and I are talking about here is just one symptom of a bigger problem, that we're just ignoring the Constitution. The Founding Fathers had some very good reasons for creating a law of the land, and now we just use every imaginable excuse just to ignore it. Well, obviously, when it comes to the Federal Reserve, uh, that is a huge item, and, and it should be to every single listener of this program, it should be to everyone in the country, is that a group of bankers, I won't use the adjective greedy, but I think that probably is implied, but a group of bankers control the value of the dollars that you and I spend. Isn't that right? Well, you're absolutely right, because if you can control the supply of the dollars, and that's what they do, um, you take some simple examples. So suppose, no, God forbid, but suppose they decide that they wanted to double the money supply, that would cut the value of the dollars in our pockets and in our bank accounts in half. That's a That's an unimaginable amount of power and to have no audits or no accountability is terribly disturbing. You know, it strikes me as interesting is that a lot of people who don't have any idea what the Federal Reserve does uh, actually support it not understanding that they are living on a fixed income or they have fixed savings and everything the Federal Reserve does, Dr. Mike, cuts their savings. So they're hoping to live off a, a bunch of money that's their savings. And meanwhile, the Federal Reserve Bank is making it worth less and less and less. I mean, I think that's grand larceny. You know, I, I think that sums it up pretty nicely because mm -hmm. I, I really don't think, like you're saying, people understand um, if you're on a fixed income, you know, and again, if I use that example of if they would double the currency, to double the amount of currency, that would cut your buying power in half. And I don't care how much you have for a retirement income, that would pretty much wipe you out financially. Why don't you explain, Dr. Mike, what exactly is inflation? Uh, I think people need to hear it from someone like you with the credentials to explain it. Well, I think that it's, I think it's actually something very easy to understand. It's people like John Maynard Keynes and 
and that whole bunch that tried to confuse it or um, obfuscate something that's really actually very clear. Inflation is really nothing more than thinking in terms of if you had if you have a fixed number of dollars in the the, um, the economy, for something to go up in price, something else would have to go down. But if you keep pumping dollars into the into the, uh, the economy, that means they're going to be spread across the economy, and the prices of everything would move up. So, I know that people from the Chicago School, for example, talk about well, you can regulate it with a small amount of uh, currency increases every year, but even that has some kind of uh, resemblance of, of reality because the economy could be expanding. But but what it really comes down to when you have the Federal Reserve just printing willy-nilly and there's no control to it at all, like you said, their, their QE3 idea is to pump more into the economy. It's just simply going to drive up prices. It's not going to create any more productivity. It's just going to drive up the prices of the services and the products we already have out there. Well, in a way, it actually saps productivity because of all the money we have to spend to cover the interest on the national debt. Well, that's true. It's absolutely right, because you're increasing your interest expense. You're absolutely right. Right now, I understand, Dr. Mike, that we are, we're borrowing money now not to pay back the debt. We're borrowing money to pay the interest. Isn't that right? Well, isn't that terrifying? Because if you suppose somebody in your family came to you and said, well, things aren't going too well right now. I'm not only borrowing money to buy groceries. I'm borrowing money to pay the interest on the groceries I bought last week. Good gracious. I mean, that's a horrible situation to be in. And it's going to take a dramatic change in, in spending and uh, the way we think about revenue, if we're going to ever get out of this mess. Well, you know, what I liken it to is, and this is something I know people can relate to, is that this month I'm going to use my visa to pay the interest on my MasterCard, and then next month I'm going to use the MasterCard to pay the interest on the visa. Yes. I think I tried that. I I tried that in college, Dr. Mike, and I don't think it worked (laughs) out too well. No, no. Any of us uh, who have tried that realize, wait a minute, this is, this can't go on for long. Well, so that that brings up an interesting point, uh, Doctor Mike. Why is it going on so long? What what is happening that to keep us keep the bubble sort of inflating when it's way past time when things should have collapsed? Well, you know what I'm afraid is going to happen is it's going to keep going to the point that we realize it's too late. Where, where right now it's, it's, it's inflating slowly, and I, I don't think people have caught, quite caught on to it yet. But my fear is once they realize what's happening, you're going to have that run on the bank kind of a scenario where everybody wants to get out of dollars at the same time. And that's that's going to be the day of reckoning when everybody says, no, wait a minute, I don't want to take these dollars anymore because they don't retain value. Well, Dr. Mike, is that going to be sort of like a emotional realization or is it going to be a reality type of realization? 
Oh, I'm, I'm afraid it's going to be a reality-type thing. We've already seen things in Greece where people are rioting in the streets and so forth, and you know, I, I hope we never see rioting in the streets in America, but it certainly could happen here if people realize, like you talked about earlier, all their retirement savings aren't going to be enough anymore because their dollars have depreciated so much in value that they can't buy the essentials that they need to get by. Well, so let's talk then. Obviously, you and I, Dr. Mike, are in favor of auditing the Fed. So let's say we actually do a full and complete audit of the Fed. What, what do you think we're going to find? Well, you know, I, I would like to say, I'll put on my optimist hat for a minute and say, you know, let, let's say that, that an independent, one of the big four CPA firms or a combination of two or three of them go in there and audit this monstrosity and they say, well, they're doing a pretty effective job, you know, controlling um, inflation with the amount that they're producing uh, of currency. I, I don't think they're going to find that, but that would be the best case scenario. I really think what they're going to find, Dr. Dan, is they're going to say, wow, this is completely out of control because there are no checks on what they're printing. And if they continue printing, they're going to destroy the currency. And I think that's what the scenario would probably look like. And that's why there's so much resistance to doing an audit of the Fed. Well, so obviously auditing the Fed has risk to it in the sense that what we find out is probably going to be disastrous. But realistically, Dr. Mike, if you know anything about economics, and if you certainly if you're like you and I are both followers of the Austrian school, uh, we really know that what's going on is disastrous. I don't think it's a big secret. <laughs> That's a good point. I guess what the advantage I would see by doing an audit of the Fed is that people around the country would finally realize that the Fed's not their friend, that the friend that that that, that the Fed is actually taking money out of their uh, taking money from their buying power from their savings. Well, I certainly I think people understand that something has happened to their buying power. I mean, when you go to the grocery store to buy groceries. Boy, the prices have just been going through the roof. Isn't that your experience, Dr. Mike? Oh, they really are. And everybody I talk to, and I'm sure the people you talk to and the people your listeners talk to are all talking like that. And But the problem I see is that there's still that tendency for people to you know, want to blame the grocery store manager or the farmer who grew the you know, the corn for the cornflakes or whatever else, when in reality, they're not getting rich on this. They're not, they're not getting the advantage of, you know, all these extra dollars uh, out in the, um, in the marketplace. Well, what's happening is they're, they're getting punished by inflation the same way as everyone else is because everything's going up. So they, they are taking the hit, uh, the store's taking the hit, the middleman's taking the hit, and ultimately... Dr. Mike, the consumers are taking the hit as well. Well, you're right, Dr. Dan. If you think in terms of what's happening here, and I think you're using the right kind of terms, it's, it's a punishment or it's actually a tax. You know, it's another way the federal government can finance their programs other than taxation itself just by simply inflating the, incur the currency 
it is a punishment. It is a tax. You know, I read an interesting analysis, and I, uh, we know that when money is printed and that money is put into circulation, uh, that devalues everyone else's money. So look at it this way. When the Federal Reserve prints a dollar and the government spends it, the government gets to spend it at the full current value of the dollar. But by the act of spending it, my dollar and your dollar is worth less. That's absolutely right. Yeah, we're not, we're not in a position where we can benefit from the printing of the dollars at all. Right. So, obviously, what we need to talk about a little bit here is what, what's the solution to all of it? Realistically, um, let's say we audit the Fed, we find out the worst, things are a shambles, we know all that, we know that's going to happen. What do you think are our true options economically as a nation? Well, I really believe that we need to be talking in terms of, and this sounds almost radical at this point, but we really do need the government operate, operate on, a, on a balanced budget. What we know you can't spend more money than you take in. And I, I think we need to be talking in terms of, we need to hear politicians talking about, we're going to reduce taxes but we're also going to reduce spending. You have to you have to reduce both of those, and we need a much smaller government. We have more government than we can possibly afford, and it's it's actually a drag on the economy because we have to fund all these government programs and all the government employees who work the programs. That's a tremendous drain on our economy. The only way we're ever going to get the economy up and rolling and producing more tax revenues is to have more economic activity. We've got to get the government out of the way to do that. What a radical thought, actually spending less than you take in. I that mean, does sound, doesn't that sound <laughs> radical now? <laughs> well, in today's terms, well, I, mean, I mean, we have become a nation that expects not only the government, but ourselves to be able to spend whatever we want, regardless of what's coming in the front door. I mean, that is just contrary to the, to the way it was when the country was founded and certainly contrary to the moral and ethical uh, knowledge of our founders. Well, you know what it is, Dr. Dan. I, when I think about the founding fathers, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, if they could come back now and see what we are doing, you know, I think we'd be ashamed of ourselves, and I could even look we can look back into the past like that, or we can look into the future. When I'm thinking about talking to my children and grandchildren, I'm going to be embarrassed looking that way, too, and saying, well, let's see, how responsible was the baby boom generation? Not very. Oh, my goodness. We've run the country into horrible debt, and now we're some of us are getting close to retirement, and we're going to retire and sit on a beach somewhere and collect Social Security while the next three generations work on this mess. It really is an embarrassment. Well, you know, realistically, Dr. Mike, um, I would say, yeah, it would be an embarrassment uh, to talk about that, and I certainly have with, with my kids. But the fact of the matter is, is that it really is the fault of a huge segment of the American population that has been asleep for the last hundred years, and we have kind of allowed people, politicians, 
with a with greed and a lust for power to kind of do whatever they wanted to do and their only goal was to make themselves rich and to stay in power as long as possible because the longer they were in power the richer they got and that's been going on for about a hundred years and frankly we did nothing about it well i think you're right and when i think in terms of you know the last hundred years look at how far we've come as far as education you know, everybody can read, everybody can use the Internet. There's really no excuse for us to say, well, these issues are just beyond me. I can't possibly understand them, and I'll just have to trust my politicians. There's no reason to do that. You know, we can spend an, an hour or two Googling and uh, looking at things on the Internet, educate ourselves on these issues, and, and speak intelligently about them pretty easily. You don't have to have a PhD in economics to talk about things like inflation. Well, you really don't need a PhD in economics to understand that if you keep spending more than you're taking in, eventually you're going to run into trouble that you can't get out of. But my fear is is that we have, as part of the agenda, uh, the agenda driven by the progressives and the collectivism that they espouse, that we have raised a generation of young people, who most of whom really do not have the desire or the ability to understand what's going on. They're just living for the pleasures of the day and not really caring about uh, what can happen on the next day. Well, you know, Dr. Dan, let me share something with your listeners. Uh, this has happened in my classes at UNC Greensboro a couple of times. You know, I, I try to lay off of politics in class because I don't think it's appropriate. But every once in a while, we'll be having a discussion, and, and I'll give an answer that I think is pretty much common sense. You know, some of the things like we're talking about today, and I'll, I'll have the students just go completely silent, and I'll ask one of them, "Well, do you disagree with that? Do you think I'm wrong?" And they'll look at me and say. Well, Dr. Beitler, we've just never heard anything like that before. That That's something that's really stunning to me. I don't think it's so much that, you know, young people are far-left liberals or, you know, socialists, but I just don't think they hear the things that we're talking about, like we're talking about on this show today. Well, we know from from abundant studies of the educational system that, Uh, It is in the hands of the liberals and progressives who don't really believe in teaching this kind of thing. They don't believe in having an informed student body to the point where people actually have to think. Because what we're talking about, Dr. Mike, is that basic thing that two and two make four, and no matter how much you stretch two and two, it can't make five, six, or ten, or anything else. Uh, And I think that knowledge is something that uh, liberals fear, frankly, because when you have knowledge, then you question. And as a professor, you are really on the front line. Well, yeah, I think you're right. And one sad story I can share with your listeners, too, is I talked to a, a young man just recently who has a master's degree in economics. And uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, he recently you know, became interested in libertarian thought and so forth. And 
I asked him, I said, well, when you got your master's degree in economics, did you take a class in Austrian economics? And he thought about it for a minute, and he said, you know, I think I went all the way through my master's degree and never even heard of the Austrian School of Economics. So that tells you something about who's controlling higher education. It's not us. Well, you, you and I both know that the tenets of the Austrian school are the basis of the free market, and that people like, like Hayek and von Mises and, and Friedman understood that the free market and freedom are, are one and the same, and if you don't have free markets, you cannot have freedom. Uh, and I know you agree, Dr. Mike. Oh, I do, absolutely. Because free markets is where you have the place to exercise your freedom to buy the products and services you want. And, and that's why I have trouble with things like Obamacare, where you're told, you know, you have to buy certain products and services. Even if there's a good intention behind it, it's still taking away my freedom. So you're absolutely right. I don't want to see something like Obamacare. I, I want to see free market solutions. Well, of course, and Obamacare is the essence of collectivism, of one-size-fits-all. Uh, it, it destroys any hope of a free market system. You know, we had a discussion here in the paper where some people, and, and of course, uh, unfortunately, some physicians who are terribly misguided would say that, that medical care is a right. Well, it is not. I mean, the you do not have the right to receive medical care. You have the right to go to someone who will provide you with medical care if you and he reach an agreement on the, what the exchange of goods and services will entail. Once you take that element out of any service, whether it's medical, medical care or food or housing or anything, that's when you get a distortion of the free market. Isn't that right, Dr. Mike? Well, it is, and I think that's a great example of, uh, of how we can see that wrong, because if you're saying medical care is a right, then you're saying you can demand that service of a physician. Well, we want to put the physician into a position of being in a slave-type role, and then you think, well, people are going to go to the medical, to medical school to be treated like that. No, but physicians obviously want to be treated you know, as free agents in, in, a, in a free marketplace. Well, Ayn Rand said is that when someone says to you, I have the right to, and they name a service like medical care, your first question should be, at whose expense? Because that's the essence of a government right, is it places an obligation on some unrelated third person. Oh, she's absolutely right. And especially if you think about something as important as medical care, you know, we want a free market there where, you know, physicians can offer services and, and make good money doing it. It's a valuable service. We don't want to, you know, control their income to some artificially low level. We don't have a shortage of supply of physicians. Well, of course, that is really the essence of the free market and it, for anything. I mean, I, when I was talking to high school students last week, I said to them, okay, suppose you said to me, I have the right to eat. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the supermarket, fill your card up with a bunch of groceries, come to the checkout counter and say, I really don't have to pay for this because I have the right to eat. 
Yeah, that's a great example. But then that puts, you know, of course, everybody in that whole supply chain there is, you know, offering uh, their products and services for free. You know, clearly, clearly they can't do that. And then again, again, you're going to have that same problem of all those people doing all that hard work don't have any incentive to continue producing all those fruits and vegetables that you're buying. Well, it's that old saying I think that Winston Churchill says is that socialism only works until you run out of other people's money. And, that's exactly right. You know, and really that's why the, the free market is so important. Uh, that's why the name of your radio program, Dr. Mike, is Free Markets because you understand. And I know you understand that, that the road to financial success, the, right, the road to financial freedom – and economic freedom is only through the free market, not crony capitalism, which is what we have here in this country now, but true free markets. Well, what's interesting about that, Dr. Dan, is I was talking to some guy, and he was only half joking about this. He said, 200 shows on free markets. He said, how, how much can you say about bananas and cucumbers? <laughs> it's funny, but we're not just talking about, obviously, bananas and cucumbers. It, 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 this, this applies to health care. It applies to education. We've done shows on education talking about if we give more free market solutions to parents and their children and people going back to college for non-traditional degrees, we'll have a lot more opportunities to have a variety of alternatives, and it'll also drive the price down. Well, that's what... And that's a free market solution for education. Well, of course. What is the essence of the free market is individual choice. I mean, that's what freedom is all about, is that you and I can choose what's right for us. Um, Dr. Mike, I know your, one of your books is called Rational Individualism, and that's really what it's about. It's about the ability to choose what's right for you. Well, I can add to that, too, Dr. Dan. As you well know, the, the subtitle of my book is A Moral Argument for limited government and capitalism. You know, when we, when we listen to the socialists on the left, they want to take the moral high ground. But I insist that we ought to be taking the moral high ground because they're suggesting in socialism that it's perfectly okay for the government to take money from one group of people, by force, by the way, and then give it to people who haven't earned it. They're not giving it the mon- They're not giving that money to people who are poor. They're giving it to people who are politically well connected. So socialism, at, at a philosophical level, is immoral. I think that's something we ought to emphasize. Not just that it doesn't make good sense practically as an economic system, but it's also immoral. Well, it's immoral because the government cannot give you anything that it does not first steal from someone else. And that's the basis of socialism. You steal from an unfavored group and you give it to a favored group so that they will be happy with you. And because the unfavored group gets angry, uh, you have to have force to keep them in check because no one wants to work forever and ever and give everything away. So that's why you're absolutely right. This is a moral argument. Dr. Mike, we're, we're coming to the end of a of an incredible discussion on the free markets. 
You have about 20 seconds to say whatever you want to say and go for it. Well, I think in those 20 seconds, I would encourage your listeners to investigate this stuff yourself. You know, you've heard from Dr. Dan and you've heard from me today and, 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 Find out, you know, who are some of the writers out there to read. Uh, Dr. Dan mentioned uh, Ayn Rand, uh, Milton Friedman, uh, all the people in the Austrian school, Hayek and von Mises. There's a lot of great literature out there where you can educate yourself. You're not going to get it from the mainstream media. Dr. Mike Beitler, professor at UNC Greensboro, author of three books and purveyor of the free market radio program thank you so very much it's been a wonderful pleasure and honor to be with you today thank you dr mike dr dan always a pleasure